Another change election this time in Brazil. My name is Richard Miles, host of 35 West, and today I have Gabriel Trabat of McClarty Associates and formerly a Deputy Assistant Secretary at the U.S. Treasury Department. Thank you, Richard. Pleasure to be with you today. So uh, we had a really big election in Brazil, but first I'd like to talk uh, about you. So could you tell us sort of the life story of Gabriel Trabat starting from the very beginning and sort of how you got to where you are today? Sure. I'll give you the abbreviated version. <laughs> um, I uh, am a regional director for Latin America at McClarty Associates. Uh, we are a consulting firm and we advise multinational companies on their investment strategies overseas. And I've had the, the pleasure of working uh, for my boss, Mr. McClarty, for um, almost between seven, almost eight years now. Uh, I'm Brazilian American. Um, I half my family lives in Brazil. So um, I come at this election with a very personalized view of what's going on on the ground in Brazil, which I look forward to sharing with you later in this conversation. Um, as you mentioned, prior to this, I did serve in the Obama administration as a deputy assistant secretary uh, for business affairs and public liaison at the Department of Treasury. I worked then for Secretary Geithner during the the dark days uh, at the first, uh, the first few years of the first term of President Obama. Um, and prior to that, I was executive director of the Brazil-U.S. Business Council at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. I've also spent some time on the Hill working for, for my congressman at the time, uh, Senator Joe Lieberman from Connecticut. And I've also spent uh, about a number of years, about seven years, at a, at a very well-known think tank in D.C. called the U.S. Council on Competitiveness, where I was director of their global program. So I've been at sort of at the nexus of a lot of these global issues and global trends, and in particular Brazil, which is close to my heart, as well as um, a key portfolio of mine, um, you know, professionally uh, over the course of my career. Um, now you said you are uh, half Brazilian, is that correct, or were you born in Brazil? That's right. No, I was born in the States. My mother is Brazilian. My father is American. Uh, I did live for a few years when I was young um, in Rio, but mostly raised in the States in Connecticut. But um, half my family is in Brazil and uh, my parents and two of my brothers, they've been living there now for many years. They moved back a number of years ago. And so I get to go back very often um, for both uh, work and for vacation. So I've been Watching, I've had a front row seat to some dynamics that, it sh that have uh, shaped up uh, to be what was really a very um, incredible day with the, with the election. Right, it sure was. So let's talk about that a bit. I mean, Jair Bolsonaro won with 46% of the vote, which I believe was a big surprise, was it not? I mean, the, the polls had him, last time I checked, somewhere in the 20s. So what, I guess, what went wrong with the polling um, and, and why were they so far off? Well, the polling actually, uh, uh, a little bit closer to the election, he was surging in the polls and actually a little bit closer to 40%. Um, uh, and the uh, second place candidate, Fernando Haddad, which ended up, he got 29% of the vote yesterday. He was always around the mid-20s figure. So, um, you know, the polling was a little bit off. That is true. Um, it wasn't terribly off, but it was a surprise that Bolsonaro did get uh, such a high number, 46%. Um, in Brazil, uh, if you get 50%, uh, just over 50% in the first round, you could actually avoid a runoff. And he was very close to that. So that was indeed very surprising. And I think the polling, the polling outlook had been complicated by a number of factors. One, of course, uh, was substitution of uh, former President Lula by Fernando Haddad, the former mayor of Sao Paulo, uh, in the second week of September due to Lula's, uh, Lula's ineligibility uh, to run for president. Of course, he is in jail right now, having been convicted of um, corruption charges uh, earlier last year. Um, so that complicated things because you had one of the main part of the worker party 
changing their presidential candidate very close to the election. Uh, another thing was Bolsonaro um, actually was assaulted. He was stabbed in a campaign rally, also in September, hospitalized for several weeks, the intensive care unit. Uh, for a long time, it wasn't sure, uh, you know, it was unclear. It was very serious wounds. It was not clear whether he'd be able to return to the campaign trail. That also, I think, complicated the polling as well. And as well, it was uh, the first time that um, Brazil uh, had an election under the new electoral laws. And so it was a very short campaign period overall, about 40 days. So a number of these factors, um, as well as, of course, sort of the general um, anti-establishment mood and high rejection rates for a lot of the candidates, made some of the polling a little bit difficult to um, handicap this year more than in previous years. So now this sets up a second round in three weeks, right? October 28th, is that correct? Or when is he? That's, that's right. So uh, Jair Bolsonaro, who you mentioned, the former you know, army captain, he got the most, 46. He will face Fernando Haddad, the Workers' Party candidate and former mayor of Apollo, uh, on a second round on October the 28th. Um, certainly, I think Bolsonaro is well positioned uh, probably to, to win the election on the 28th. Uh, Haddad, even if we assume that he's able to uh, capture some of the votes from some of the other left of center candidates uh, that didn't that didn't make the top two two spots yesterday. Even if we, he is he does pick those up. I think it still would not be enough uh, to counter the 46 percent that uh, Bolsonaro has, and we can also expect Bolsonaro to pick up some votes from Geraldo Alckmin, who's the former governor of Sao Paulo, who is the center, uh, another sort of centrist, center-right candidate. Um, so it, it looks like Bolsonaro may be well, well positioned. And I, I will say, you know, uh, he ends up caring yesterday, um, not just the, the mood of the electorate that was very anti-establishment, but he also cared the evangelical bloc, uh, all the business community rallied around him in a very strong way because of this sort of uh, pro-market, pro you know, neoliberal economic um, state in the campaign. He also got a lot of support from the agricultural and the agribusiness community. Um, and, and, and pointedly, he actually won Sao Paulo State. So Haddad actually lost his own state. So he looks very well positioned at this point, I would say, um, to advance to uh, to advance to be Brazil's next president. It's very possible. It's Brazil, so never say never, but right. it's looking very possible. Um, <laughs> good point. So you mentioned uh, uh, talking about sort of a, a mood for change in the electorate. And a lot of people are already comparing this to, you know, previous election results we've seen over the past couple of years, notably Brexit, the election of President Trump, the, Lopez, the election of Lopez Obrador just a few months ago. Can you tell us, Gabriel, how, you know, what are the similarities between those examples and what are the differences? Is there something uniquely Brazilian about what we just saw or, or is it part and parcel of what apparently is, is sweeping the globe over the last uh, two years? I think what happened in Brazil is actually unique Brazilian, but it does belong to the common thread that we are seeing globally on, you know, a rejection of the political classes, the sort of anti-establishment mood, uh, frustration with the status quo. That is it, what we saw in Brazil is very much similar to what we've seen in the United States and in Europe and in other parts of the globe. What makes it uniquely Brazilian is that unlike Brexit and unlike Trump, um, you know, the, the impetus for voting in Bolsonaro, uh, it doesn't have to do with trade policy or, you know, perceptions that, that uh, you know, dividends on trade has not felt, not been distributed equally among society. It doesn't have to do with immigration policies, none of that. Really, what, what shifted the mood in Brazil against the establishment was very much domestic issues centered around public security, crime, you know, corruption, 
uh, and to some extent as well, um, uh, unemployment, the economy. But really, the, the first two uh, reasons I mentioned, public security and corruption, really dominated the agenda. And so what we saw, not just Bolsonaro, by the way, but there was uh, Senate, you know, two-thirds of the Senate, the entirety of the lower house, and all 27 governors were also up for election yesterday. And overwhelmingly, uh, what we saw was a shift. Uh, we saw um, conservative parties picked up a large number of seats. Uh, we saw those that espoused Bolsonaro and his sort of law and order mantra and his sort of cleaning up house when it comes to corruption. A lot of those candidates have been now stepped into office. Um, so I, I would posit that it was it was a different situation than we saw globally, but I would say that the theme is the same. Yeah, it strikes me somewhat similar to... Mexico and that, you know, Lopez Obrador was very disciplined and kept his his campaign focused on uh, corruption and violence. And uh, that was a, a very, uh, the public was ready to hear that, particularly from someone perceived in, in the Mexican political system not to be corrupt. So um, let me, let's go a little bit about Bolsonaro's origin story. I mean, he, the, the two facts, it seems like you, or at least the one fact you always see written about him in, in the recent press is that he's a former army captain, former, former paratrooper, and, and uh, he's been around a while. He was elected to, to Congress, what, in 1991, right? So what, what, else, do, what else about him uh, do, do you think will be relevant to in terms of how Let's just assume he went to the presidency. Are, are there clues in his background, the sort of government he would form and the sort of policies he would pursue? Uh, you know, it's a difficult question to answer, Richard. He very much during this campaign, uh, you know, uh, he he is adopting a very much of a, of a far right position on social issues that are, I think, pretty much well known, you know, increasing gun ownership rights. Um, he certainly made a number of inflammatory statements about, about women in the LGBT community. When it comes to economic policy, um, one of his advisors is Paulo Guedes. To be honest, it's the only economic advisor that I'm aware that he has. Paulo Guedes is a very well-known, well-respected uh, investment banker from Sao Paulo, um, co-founder of Banco Pactual. He's a, he's a partner in BR, in BR Investimentos. He's sort of a renowned liberal economist from the University of Chicago, Mold. Um, however, uh, Bolsonaro has publicly disagreed with Paulo Guedes uh, over the course of the campaign. Um, his vice presidential candidate, uh, Antonio Moron, is a uh, retired army general. Uh, actually, it was quite difficult for Bolsonaro to actually find a, a running mate, uh, but he found one in Moron. Uh, who is quite extremist and has, you know, defended military invention in the economy if it's necessary. Um, so if you look at Bolsonaro's campaign platform, it actually reads almost a lot like uh, Geraldo means, where he's talking about, you know, expanding Brazil's trading relationships, um, addressing fiscal reforms, um, you know, uh, uh, would pass a tax reform, very much sort of pro-market, you know, uh, pro, uh, pro-trade position. But if you contrast that, with his, he is a career politician, despite having run as an outsider for the past 30 years. He did not distinguish himself uh, quite at all, frankly, in his years in Congress. Um, so we can't go on a legislative record. We can go on some statements he has made, and they've been very much sort of not of that neoliberal economic bent, but um, anti-privatization. He voted against the Plano Real. So it, it has led to a bit of a, of a head scratching for some of us analysts that watch Brazil to wonder, you know, what would a Bolsonaro administration look like? Because uh, what he's been saying in the campaign has been very different from what he has said in the past. And it leads us to question 
we're not really sure what to expect. And in that, I think uh, there are some similarities to President Trump here, where you have somebody who, um, yes, he was a congressman, but but not not, not that much direct experience uh, legislating. Um, you know, is running very much as an outsider and kind of running as his own man. Uh, so we do question how much should Paulo Guedes, for example, join his administration, uh, how much he would really listen to him versus sort of going on his instinct. And that's still very much an open question. So I'm, I'm guessing now there are probably, you know, former uh, government policy experts or so, and now it's starting to circle like sharks, you know, trying to get into a potential Bolsonaro administration, because it sounds like he probably has fairly thin ranks in terms of um, advice on, on things like, you know, outside of crime, foreign policy, development, um, things like that. Or are there any obvious candidates out there, or not candidates, but uh, experts that look like they're getting ready to join the Bolsonaro team? Well, it's a good question. He comes from a very small party, the Social Liberal Party. Of all the candidates that ran, he had the smallest coalition. He therefore had no TV time. Um, so in many ways, uh, he is, uh, you know, a Bolsonaro administration uh, would be less um, encumbered by having to play coalition politics, uh, which we have seen, you know, time and again in Brazil, uh, which really has alternated between PT and PSDB administrations. He would be less beholden to that since he comes from a small party and nobody joined him for this campaign. That said, he is going to need to find some allies, uh, allies um, and is probably going to have to bring some, some folks in the so between this round, the first round on October 28th is where we're going to see a lot of this coalition negotiation. Now that the, you know, the, the election has consolidated around two, um, two candidates, start to, start to take place. Um, so that kind of remains to be seen, who could be leading. But I would imagine that um, he would pick up uh, a, a lot of the support that previously had gone to uh, Governor Alkmeen. Um, and depending on how, you know, he plays his cards, um, he, you know, he, he, he could, he could, he could cobble together a coalition, be able to pass some legislation, but very much an open question right now. I should say his party did pick up a lot of seats in Congress. Uh, he went from having one or two seats, uh, his social liberal party to, to about 50. So there has been questions about his governability. Should he be elected? I think that's still a question, um, but it, but uh, what we have seen is that not only did his party pick up seats, but candidates from other parties that espoused him in the campaign or, or uh, endorsed him, I should say, in the campaign um, were also stepped into the office. So there may be some sense of loyalty there to, to circle around Bolsonaro uh, should he be elected. Right. What do we know about his uh, experience or knowledge of the United States? I mean, did has he spent any time studying or traveling? And then, you know, finally, does he have ties to anyone in the, in the Trump administration? None as far as I know. And if he's been to the United States, that's a pretty well-kept secret. Um, <laughs> you know, foreign policy did not figure at all during this campaign. It, it, it typically doesn't. It certainly did not in this campaign, where, as I mentioned, the, the, the core themes were domestic. It was corruption and crime. Um, so as a result, we don't really know what he thinks. Um, beyond you know, the free and open trade comments he has made, we don't know what he thinks about the United States or the U.S.-Brazil relationship. Now, knowing Bolsonaro, and you know, we now have seen what, what, what President Trump is in office, I could see perhaps that they, a kinship. You know, they, they both are cut a little bit from the same cloth. Um, they both are, like I said, beholden to nobody. They're sort of relatively outsiders. Um, they're very straight-talking. Um, they have certainly uh, 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 have captured the, the conservative base. Um, 
I, I could see them actually developing maybe a, a personal relationship, but I could also see perhaps Trump looking at Bolsonaro and thinking that there may be a, an ally on the Venezuela issue that perhaps he wouldn't have had in a Haddad administration. But apart from that, I, I, nobody knows uh, what to expect in the U.S.-Brazil relationship under a Bolsonaro administration. Does that also hold true, Gabriel, for other leaders in the region? I mean, does, does he know or have any experience with uh, Lopez Obrador or Mexico or Ivan Duque in Colombia or Mauricio Macri in Argentina? Any, any connections there, either personal or professional? None. None that I know of and none that anybody that I speak to knows of. We really don't. Foreign policy has never, he has never marked his tenure in, in Congress for foreign policy. If he's taken some trips, uh, they've gotten very low profile, very low press, very little attention. Um, so that is, is very much an unknown. Well, well, that, these sound like salad days for a Brazilian uh, analyst, Gabriel. You're going to be a busy, uh, <laughs> busy woman trying to help people sort through this because it sounds a little bit like a blank slate. I, I, uh, I kid one of my uh, our other guests on the show, Chris Sands from Johns Hopkins. He's he's a Canadian expert, and I've been telling Chris, you know, up until NAFTA was renegotiated, you know, you probably went home at two o'clock and. Uh, it cracked, cracked open a beer because nobody really was interested in hearing about Canada. And all of a sudden, he's on every single podcast, uh, interview all over the place. So maybe we're looking at something similar for, for Brazil, uh, political and economic analysis. Yeah, it's, there's a lot unknown about uh, not just Bolsonaro what to expect, but as I was mentioning as well, there was congressional elections. And in the Senate, we saw... Um, you know, very high turnover. Over 32 of 32 senators that were seeking re-election, 23 were defeated, and some really longtime heavyweight politicians uh, did not win re-election. Uh, so we have, um, you know, we we kind of are looking at not a whole new Congress, but there's a very different composition in Congress uh, with perhaps, you know, uh, p- potentially a Bolsonaro administration. So it it could be positive in terms of you know passing some reforms and and, and you know and doing the right thing in terms of getting the economy back on track, but but um, no one really is sure what to expect. Um, so it's not unlike our situation here in the United States at all. Right. Um, one final question, Gabriel, and then I'll let you go. Is this the end of the Workers' Party and the end of, of Lula, or sort of the cult of Lula, or or do they have another shot at this if if uh, Bolsonaro messes it up? Well, let's not forget that Lula was leading in the polls by double digits before he was disqualified from the race. So support for the PT and the Workers' Party is alive and well and strong. I think we should not uh, misinterpret Haddad's 29% yesterday with a weakening of support for the Workers' Party or for Lula. So, no, I think um, as with any as with any political system, you know, uh, there's a yin to the yang and it's cyclical. Uh, we are coming from, uh, let's see, over oh, well over a dozen years of PT Workers' Party rule. So I think it's natural that now we're going to tilt to the right. But um, I wouldn't rule out, you know, a comeback. And it'll very much depend on what Bolsonaro does over the next four years as well. Gabrielle, thank you very much for joining us today. You know, Brazil is a big country. It's an important country. And it sounds like we're going to be hearing a lot more about it in, in any case. But I appreciate your insights today and, and look forward to having you back on the show. Great. Thank you, Richard. It's been a pleasure. 